Hey, listeners, welcome to the Eater Upsell. This is Eater's Editor-in-Chief, Amanda Clute. I'm joined today with Associate Producer Dan Janine. Hey, Dan. Uh, Hey, Amanda. Hey, listeners. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing really well. We have another rockin' best of episode this week. Keep the best ofs coming. This week we have Pretty Mystery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a funny part in the episode where Helen says, "I, I didn't watch your season of Top Chef. And Pretty Mystery says, uh, don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) She's Uh, cool. She's cool. She's really cool. She is an Oakland-based chef who runs a restaurant called Juhu Beach Club. Which actually, breaking news, is closing. Oh, shoot. Did you know that, Dan? No, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. It won't close before you release this episode. Before three days from now. Yes. It is closing once they find a buyer. So it's for sale. She's looking to get out. And then... Someone else will open in the space. But uh, she has another restaurant, so it's not like she's getting out of the business. So she just wants to focus on the one? or I think so. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Sorry to just you know, shock you with that breaking news update. Yeah. But I just read it yesterday. I, I should have been on that. You know. Shoot. Well, so we cut out the first 20 minutes of this episode because I think the second half is more about the development of a restaurant and uh, development of of her as a cook and a chef, and it's great. Um, But the first half is some pretty interesting context, uh, and it speaks to how she became who she is and why she's in Oakland, and I'm going to try to give it to you in 30 seconds. Awesome. You ready? Yeah. Okay. She grew up in Ann Arbor. Uh, She worked at a video store. She was <laughs> she was renting like six movies a night, and she was accused of of running an underground rental operation where she was renting, taking out the videos and, and renting them to her friends. She met her wife in Ann Arbor when she was nineteen. They are still married. Wow. Uh, you don't have any breaking news on that, do you? I do not. They are still no. married. Her and her wife moved to San Francisco because she was working in queer film. She did that for a while. They started hosting these dinner parties that became kind of a known thing. Her wife got a job in London. She moved to London to go to Le Cordon Bleu. From there, she got back to Oakland, worked at Google for a while in the cafeterias there. She eventually ran one of the major Google hubs and then opened a Juhu Beach Club pop-up that became well-known, and it turned into a restaurant. Cool. How was that? Great. You did it. What do you Give me an out of 10 on that. <laughs> give you a seven and a half. Okay. Before we get into Preeti, Amanda, are you a fan of Bob's Red Mill? Because I am actually a fan of Bob's Red Mill. I am. I am, of course. Now they're in every uh, grocery store and bodega in my neighborhood, so it's everywhere. If you were like, hey, who makes gluten-free flowers and, and who makes, like, where were you going to go to get a tapioca starch? Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. If you need a weird starch. Wax flour. You yeah. know where to go. Right. Bob's Red Mill. Yeah. Weird starches, uh, gluten-free products. I buy uh, unsweetened coconut flakes from them. You said that. Mm-hmm. What do you do with them? Uh, what do you mean? I'm not like crazy. Sorry. I make granola. No, no, no. I, I make know, granola, but... so I put, I toast right. them and put them in my granola. I, I didn't mean to be so sorry. <laughs> I just mean like, you had said that to me before. And and, and for two weeks you've been like, what does she use coconut flakes for? <laughs> Yes. So Good thing bizarre. I'm saving all the hot, the hot <laughs> shit. I shouldn't. My mom told me not to swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, anyway, Bob's, buy buy Bob's Red Mill. Yeah, they it. support the Eater Upsell. They and love us. And we love what them. does this say? You get twenty percent off all products if yeah. you use 
what is this? A special code? Yeah, special code eater oh, at bobsredmill.com. Yeah. All right, Dan, read the copy. For those who are catering to a paleo, gluten-free, or a vegan diet, or those who want the highest quality flowers, grains, and meals, period, Bob's Red Mill is your go-to. Head to bobsredmill.com to shop and explore their huge range of products and get inspiration from hundreds of recipes. Is that where you got your granola recipe? Bob'sRedMill.com? <laughs> no. Your secret granola recipe? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll give theirs a shot. I, I only make the Love Madison Park granola recipe. Oh <laughs> That's right. That is correct. That's who I am. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> don't forget to use their promo code uh, EATER for 20% off. That is bobsredmill.com. If you have time between making 11 Madison Park recipes, would you mind <laughs> queuing up our next interview? All right. Here comes Pretty Mystery. Enjoy. I started cooking for, like, our friends. So, like, I grew up eating, you know, pretty much from scratch dinner at least five nights a week. Um, and I went away and I never learned to cook growing up because I have two older sisters So to me it was just like housework and my mom was happy to have them You know, they were the first ones to rope in and so I was like, I'm gonna fill the dishwasher and Go play video games. So yeah, so basically I like left home and then Ann and I were like living in San Francisco and I started missing like, you know, not just I can't just live on burritos and pizza Okay, really? maybe I could <laughs> but you know anyway, I started cooking and it came really naturally to me. Um, you know, we sort of, like, started getting, like, a group of friends that we hung out with all the time. And so we'd have dinner parties. And, like, we, nobody had any money, so we weren't going out for fancy meals. It was either going to, like, some divey place and getting a slice or something or, like, cooking uh, together. And so we'd started doing dinner parties. And, like, I kind of call it, like, I call it the time when Ann and I were, like, little adults. We were, like, tiny little adults. We were, like, oh, we're grown-ups now. Let's have people <laughs> over to our house. Right, and, and, like, get, like, fancy tableware. And, like, like Ann would decorate the whole, like, thing with, like, place cards. And, I mean, we were so obnoxious. We would write things like, befitting dress required. Like, <laughs> now we're, like, eh, just come over. We'll have some beer and order some pizza oh, and whatever. Sound but obnoxious. when we were, like, 23, we were, like, oh, I think we even once had a party where we gave them suggested wine to bring shut up <laughs> but like that's but that's a that's perfect right like that's how you learn how to grow up yeah like we were just like enamored with the whole thing like of dining and food and restaurants and like that we couldn't afford but we would like look at them and read about them and look through the window you know and then we kind of got known amongst our friends group for being like the ones that threw these like awesome dinner parties um, like we did a 99 to 2000 like Y2K. Um, <laughs> we did like a 10 course meal. Oh. Wow. Um, so it was like 10 courses to the millennium. Um, and we had uh, we'd gotten all these bottles of sparkling wine in Sonoma. So there was like one for every guest. Wow. So each person got to like have their moment where they opened the bottle and like poured it for everybody. That's really um, beautiful. But it was like ridiculous. It was like gay prom. Like we had corsages and boutonnieres and stuff and, and fondue. I want to go to this party like now. That sounds great. It was it was pretty hilarious. I mean, it was also like in our like one bedroom beige carpet, beige wall. Like, oh no, this is like this made me very wistful for my youth. I yeah. Mean, like, so you became known for these awesome dinner parties, and then what brought you to London? I mean, basically, I just kept cooking, and you know, Anne kept saying you should go to culinary school, um, and then I finally listened when other people said it. Um, I'm really good at that. So what was <laughs> not the, listening to know, the people it, closest well, to you? I feel like that's like uh, every. Not everybody, but like it's it's a common story that like you hear about someone who's like, oh no, I just like I really liked cooking and I really liked throwing dinner parties mm -hmm. and I went to culinary school 
And then, like, it doesn't work. Right. And then for you, it did. Right. Like, they'll show up in culinary school or they'll, they'll get into restaurant life and realize this is completely different. Did you drag your feet at all where you're like, I don't need to professionalize this? or No, like, I needed to. Like, that was the whole thing. Like, there were people saying, like, oh, you're such a great chef. I'm like, I'm not a chef, dude. Like, I just cooked this food in our house for friends. Like, even if you think it's delicious, like, I'm not a chef. There's, like, these people and they have these skills and it's not what I'm doing here. Like, you know, I'm a good home cook. You know, so for me, it was like, no, if I'm going to do this, like I need to get the proper skills. I need to know what I'm doing, Um, you know, and I was, you know, luckily in a place where so Anne's job uh, gave her this opportunity to go to London. And so it was a kind of a perfect break for me from Frameline. So I was working at Frameline um, in my little like gay bubble, gay film bubble. Um, and so that was like the moment. So it's like, okay, what am I going to do in London? It was like, oh, you could maybe get a job at the BFI, but it'll probably just be an unpaid internship and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is the perfect moment. I mean, and it worked out. Yeah. Did you take to cooking school? It's not called cooking school, culinary school. Culinary right? school, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting. I learned how to drink. Great. <laughs> because I went to culinary school in London. So let's uh, put those yeah. two things together. <laughs> That's a recipe for alcohol poisoning. The, the, the town where people buy rounds. Is that a know? stereotype that culinary school is a big drinking sort of culture? I have no idea. I but feel like yeah. cooks drink a lot. But, right. Yeah, I mean, industry-wise, it's, mm-hmm. you know, definitely a thing. And, um, you know, I mean, people expect you to be able to hang. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's just also just the British-Irish culture as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, and most of the people, so culinary school is interesting. Like you were saying, a lot of people say they like to cook and then go to culinary school. So there was definitely those people. Um, Cordon Bleu in London is not cheap. So there's definitely like, I mean, I met some people who were like so wealthy. I was just like, what in the hell? Like, why are you even doing this? Like, why are you just like on the beach somewhere mm-hmm. <laughs> having your somebody, you know, ship your bags for you and wait in line for you? Right, exactly. um, but I guess even some rich people want to do something with their lives. Good for them. They want to um, learn a trade, yeah. Yeah, you know, so then they can tell other people how to do it. <laughs> uh, right, <laughs> for them, yeah. Right. Oh, my God. Um, no, I mean, when the cool thing about London uh, is that everyone is from somewhere else. So, like, it, the internationalness of the school, like, I found that when I came back um, and would work and, you know, meet people in San Francisco, it's like, oh, everybody's kind of from here. But when I went to culinary school, it was like people from Jamaica and Italy and Ireland and uh, Malaysia and India. A lot of Americans and Japanese were the biggest. Um, But, you know, like everywhere. Just and everyone was kind of became their nationality, you know, like they were just which was the same in restaurants. Like when I started working in restaurants in London, it was like there's the Venezuelan guys and the Kiwi guys and the Japanese and, um, you know, the Colombians, Ecuadorians, the, the weird Indian girl from America with the shaved head. So who keeps talking about do the right thing. Right. (laughs) But you didn't immediately jump into cooking Indian food. Right. So this has like been a relatively recent element of your career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that also was like, I, I always kind of knew eventually that I would cook Indian cuisine, but I wanted to learn like, you know, from the culinary school, you learn French cuisine and I wanted to learn everything about restaurants. I mean, I do love a lot of different foods. Like I had a chef, a uh, friend of mine in Oakland, uh, I saw him and he, he owns Italian restaurants. Um, and he was like, oh, I made a really great potato curry the other night. You would have been proud of me. Um, and I was like, hey, you know what? I make really good pasta. And he, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I bet you do. Like, you know, I mean, we do these different things, but like, you know, I make a lot of different food at home. Um, so, I, I mean, I just wanted to learn 
and I wanted to work in, you know, you also you go to culinary school and people are like, assume that you have to work fine dining mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. So like kind of finding, you know, and I didn't really want to work in an Indian place at first because I mean, in my sense, it's also like I wanted to cook the Indian food that I grew up with. Like I didn't necessarily need to learn to make naan and curry. What were some of the things that you grew up with that you would want to cook? So, like? I mean, to me, it's like the cuisine that we do in the restaurant is sort of, uh, you know, it's. You know, there's not a lot of heavy cream and butter in the sauces. A lot of that is very, like, North Indian, Punjabi. Um, and what we do is, like, I mean, like, a lot of people come into the restaurant and they're like, you, when we first opened, when people didn't know what to expect, um, and they, they get the chicken curry, and they're expecting that, like, bowl with, like, five boneless chunks of meat in this, like, pool of sauce. And instead they get this bone-in whole chicken leg with all these chunks of onions and tomatoes and stuff, and they're like, what the fuck is this? Why doesn't this look like my takeout? Right, yeah, Yeah. and they're like, what is this? Um, But, like, that's how we would eat at home. We don't eat, like, butter-laden cream sauces and boneless, you know, little chunks of meat. Like, no. Um, So to me it's like I really wanted to bring a different – style of Indian cuisine to people, especially in the Bay Area. I mean, I know here in New York, um, definitely London, uh, there's a little bit more knowledge about regional cuisine um, because there's just a larger Indian population, but it's growing rapidly mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. Um, so I wanted to be able to do something different. Like, you know, it's a subcontinent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like lot. some tiny little <laughs> <Yeah>. country. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different cuisines, you know. So I wanted to bring... A lot of the stuff that I grew up eating, my family's from Gujarat, and, you know, I wouldn't say that our food is by any means Gujarati, but there's definitely a lot of that influence um, in terms of the flavor profiles. Um, and, I mean, it's just how my brain is wired when I think about certain things. So I might make something that skews a little bit more like South Indian, but I was raised in a Gujarati household, so that is always going to kind of come out in the cuisine. Mm-hmm. Do you think you needed... Um a certain amount of time to go by before you were ready to cook Indian food? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, it was learning the trade. And I think that when I finally started my pop-up, I reached this point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to do my own thing. Just like any chef, uh, sort of, you you cook other people's food Mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time and just learn the craft. Like, you learn how to just chop onions and order produce and I'll figure out all those things, figure out how these dishes go together. Uh, You know, you study the classics. And for me, at the point where I left Google, it was like, okay, now I'm ready. And, you know, I'd also run huge businesses. So I'd run the cafeteria at Google, which is like 3,000 people a day. I'd run the cafe at the De Young Museum, Legion of Honor, which was like, again, like 2,000 people, 800 people a day. Um, so I had the like business knowledge I felt as well to actually run a business and not just be like, okay, I can cook really well, but I don't actually know what else I'm doing. So at Google, did you, did you have to cook a certain kind of food or was it like today is yeah. Mexican food day and then tomorrow is? So I ran Charlie's um, and Charlie's is the largest cafeteria on campus. So it um, has a Mediterranean like uh, pizza, it has sushi, it has a deli, it has a salad bar, it has a you know, grab and go. It has a bakery. Um, so I, th- I think the you know, I was only there for like a little under a year. I think the, the biggest contribution I made was that as being a chef who is a slave to the farmer's market, I probably pimped that salad bar <laughs> better than most chefs ever did. Um, you posted an Instagram recently that I'm You're obsessed making me with. nervous. No, it's great. <laughs> it's, it, um, so 
and my segue into I, like I had a whole segue planned up, but like I'm just gonna dive right in because yeah. you had this really awesome Instagram that you posted um, a note from your new sous chef mm-hmm. saying, "I know you said no dick pics <laughs> or no no dick jokes, right? Uh-huh. It was like I know you said no dick jokes, so here's a balls joke." Uh-huh. And then it was eggplants, which is hilarious because eggplants are dicks right, now. Right. So it was actually a dick joke. But they weren't. They were balls. Did you see them? I did. They're they're ball shaped <laughs> eggplants. Yeah. But eggplants are dicks. Right. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about that. I wanted to talk about the no dick jokes rule. There's no no dick jokes rule. <laughs> First of all, because <laughs> um, like all we do on the upsell is make dick jokes. We ha- or somehow I, I end do. up talking about dicks in almost every episode. It's literally entirely and this my is, fault. And you worked it into this. <laughs> I did. Um, I am never the one that brings up the dicks. It's always me. (laughs) It's actually always me. You know, no, if you saw the comment that I wrote back was, I said no stupid dick jokes. And it was just funny because I had been, um, I can't remember where it was, some interview or something recently, and I had just said, oh, is this Queer in the Kitchen with Jari magazine? Um, And, you know, so in that we were, like, talking about, you know, the environment in kitchens and how it can be very macho and blah, blah, blah. And and I said this about how we don't make stupid dick jokes because, like, you have to be more nuanced. Yeah. Like, I'm not (laughs) mad at a dick joke if it's actually, like, smart. But, like, you know, if you're just going to, like, pick up a large carrot and be like, (laughs) like, no. Like, we're going to shame you for that because that's just not very smart. You know, I'm going to look at you and be like, you can. Yeah. So you're not actually allowed to be funny yet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So just just put your head down and keep chopping and we'll all let you know when you're allowed to start being funny. Are there any like particular smart dick jokes that come to mind that have happened in your kitchens? I'm just going to start asking this of all of our, de- all of our smart, guests. Smart dick when jokes. Like, Tell you us wanna, about your best dick jokes. What's the temperature dick on dick joke? jokes in your kitchens? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that they, it, it's definitely that the dick jokes generally come from more of the women in the kitchen. So I think that that makes it a little more okay. You know, like I'm, one of my cooks was grabbing a large carrot and was making jokes about taking it home and making her boyfriend jealous. That's good. That's good. That's a good dick joke. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not like sexually harassing anyone else it's warm or making and, anyone else uh, feel uncomfortable. Her boyfriend, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But like, yeah. But you know, but he's not. In the room. No, he's not in the room. It advises. And I don't think he listens to, to this. laugh with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's a know, good dick joke. But it's like and it's got layers. Yeah. And it's like makes makes you think. <laughs> There's a little bit of brain. You know, your brain has to. It just right. needs to be like beyond Beavis and Butthead. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, it needs to be a little bit more nuanced than that. So how old is Juhu Beach Club now? It's like three and a half years old. Three and a the, half the years old. The restaurant, the brick and mortar restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, the pop-up is like five years old. Wow. So with the pop-up, did you get enough juice to start like talking to investors or how did it go from pop-up no, to brick and mortar? No, we have no investors. We have no investors. We are 100% owned 50-50, me and my wife. You're indie. Yeah. You got, uh, got you guys got some good buzz from that pop-up though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was super fun. I mean... I was really like, I, I got nothing to lose. You know, I already looked kind of stupid on Top Chef. So who cares? <laughs> and uh, I didn't you know, watch your season. I don't know. Don't bother. Okay. It was the Vegas season? Yeah. Vegas. Eh, fuck it. Meh, whatever. Um, <laughs> was that kind of your attitude the whole time? Like, or were you like, this This is going to be my, this could be my big break? You seem like a competitive person. I'm not really competitive in that. Yeah, I'm not like I'm competitive with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not like cutthroat enough. I don't think, you know, I just I didn't really prepare for it. 
Um, and I don't really understand what I was getting into. Yeah. Um, when you got a but you know, I like to say uh, to my friends how I I want to be known as the uh, Top Chef contestant that did the has the largest chasm between how poorly they did on the show and how well they've actually done in their own like professional career. Totally, you're the Jennifer um, Hudson. I'm the Jennifer Hudson. She didn't win American Idol, but she won a fucking Oscar. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think like a year ago I was saying this because I say it like once in a while. And one of my friends was like, Preeti, I think you're there. You are. Like, like just quit <laughs> saying it now. <laughs> um, right. Um, I didn't even realize you had been on Top Chef. See? Look see? at that. There you go. So you did three, three <laughs> I mean, episodes? It, what, what year is we're in 2016? Yeah. It was seven freaking years ago. Okay. <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, I guess I also sort of assume that everybody has been on Top Chef. Right. Like, I feel like if I meet someone, like if I meet a, a chef or a cook and, I'm, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, da, 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 I'm like, you were probably on Top Chef. Like, right. I, don't, I don't watch And I have Chef. a mohawk, so you put those two things together, chef and I have a mohawk. Probably. probably been on Top Chef at some point. So three and a half years into the restaurant, like what stage is it at? Are you at the place where you're like, okay, we've, we're at something that's relatively fixed? Or are you like constantly changing things Oh, it's up? constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, every day. How do you balance the sort of constant change with the, like, authenticity that underscores all of it? Well, it's authentically my food. So it's new dishes that I'm creating that's still authentically me. Um, You know, I mean, I think that, you know, when we first opened, because so the pop-up was really, like, simple. It was just, like, these sandwiches and a couple salads, house-made samosas, and, like, a mango lassi. Um, And... You know, when the restaurant, the first like six to nine months, my initial idea was that it was going to be kind of more of the pop shop. So that's our slider. Um, we have like five different kinds um, and some of them change from time to time. There's probably like eight to ten altogether. Um, and uh, there's a couple, you know, so I, I kind of thought it was going to be that it was going to be like a little more casual pop shop um, and probably not changing that much. But. After the first, like, six to nine months, uh, my wife and I closed the restaurant for two weeks, and we went to India and, you know, did all this noodling, did some time in London as well. Um, And what we found is that there's so few chef-driven Indian restaurants in the world. Yeah, like, period. (laughs) In the country and then in the Bay Area um, that— what we were finding is the neighbors and customers who are coming in were really excited that there I was. Every single day, every single night, they could talk to me. We can chat. Like, this is what's happening here. Well, I um, mean, honestly, it's pretty rare that that, that yeah. you get that kind of, you yeah. know, as a, as, especially as a neighborhood, you know, if it's a neighborhood establishment, it's a place in your neighborhood and there is a chef that is associated with the restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so from there, we just realized that um, we needed to start, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, elevating the cuisine. Yeah. Um, and it's been amazing. Like, I never really thought that, you know, I mean, I think that I reached a point like, you know, like when I was kind of noodling on all of this was around the time the Mission Chinese was happening in San Francisco. And, you know, we used to go there all the time. And I was, you know, I really appreciated their whole thing about how they had no fine dining aspirations. And I was kind of like, yeah, fine dining's bullshit. And, you know, I just want to do this simple, flavorful, soulful food. Uh, I think that's still what we do today. But I definitely think that, you know, now we're constantly evolving. What we're doing today wouldn't have been possible two years ago, and I don't know where we'll be two years from now. Like, we just kind of keep organically growing in different ways, um, and the cuisine is kind of growing up. So your customers go along with you? They they, they try the new stuff? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, they're always excited about new stuff. I mean, there's definitely the customers who are, you know, there's a certain amount of the menu that it's really challenging for us to change. Um, like, I don't think we can ever get rid of the Manchurian cauliflower. Um, Anthony Bourdain called, so it, <laughs> Bourdain called it my uh, stairway to heaven. <laughs> he was like, you're going to have to make this for the rest of your fucking life. <laughs> Like, yeah, probably. But Tish is um, having a huge moment. Like, your version of it mm -hmm. is really well-known, and I feel like it's been popping up in... it. There's a restaurant here in New York, um, Babuji. Uh -huh. that, uh, they call it Colonel... They call it General So's. I mean, but it's all Gobi Manchurian, and it's right. like coming out of that like Indo-Chinese thing yeah. that I think had not previously been part of the American understanding of what Indian cuisine involved. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of annoy Greg, it's a thing. Indian Chinese is a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's actually a thing. It's a thing. Um, no, but, you know, I mean, I think that for me it's like the other thing that's a thing is like the expression that we have at the restaurant at Juhu Beach Club is like what else is a thing is a group of kids who are of Indian origin that grew up in the United States and are now adults and have this unique perspective uh, of both of those cultures. And I think that that's what our what, whether it's like, you know, this like radish salad that probably if you saw that somewhere or ate it would never imagine that this is an Indian restaurant or something as like, you know, like our lamb biryani um, that's so clearly intensely Indian in its flavors um, that it's it's all a thing. It's it's what I find, you know, when customers who are, you know, around my age or. Um, which is almost 40. Um, <laughs> I know I look 17. Um, they're, they, they are like, wow, this is like, they, they get it on this deep level. You know, they look at the pictures on the walls, uh, and they're like, wow, that could be my family. That, um, that must be incredibly gratifying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's. Do you have photos of your family on the walls? Yeah. And I specifically, I mean, I think there's one or two from India, but most of them are from London and Trinidad and Uganda and the United States. And the reason I wanted to do that is because what I can't stand is these sort of exoticizing, fetishizing of, you know, that old Indian guy that with the BD in his hand. And uh, <laughs> this isn't about, I'm not trying to recreate something that I ate or experienced in India. It's about the journey. And that's why wow, I just got a crazy cramp in my leg. Because um, what you're saying Say is so, true. so exciting. <laughs> so Talk about your family like. more. <laughs> There's like a lightning bolt through me. <laughs> um, so my dad uh, grew up in East Africa in Uganda. The food that we cook is Gujarati at home, but it also has a lot of influence from East Africa. So there's certain vegetables like cassava and things like that that I grew up eating that, like, my other Gujarati friends did not. Or, like, you know, my parents would speak Swahili um, a lot of times when they didn't want us to understand because we understood English and Gujarati, but we didn't know Swahili. <laughs> so, you know, so the little kids couldn't understand. Um, but, you know, there'd be certain words where I thought they were Gujarati. And then, I, you know, I'd say it to someone in, like, some friend of mine's house, and they'd be like, what? What are you saying? Like, and I'm like, it's, isn't that the common language that we both speak that's not English? <laughs> and they're like, no, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so to me, it's like showing all of those photos. Like, you know, the, I have a picture of like my mom and my aunt in Piccadilly Circus in their like saris and like little cardigans. And it's like the 70s. And to me, that is part of what makes me who I am and that is what we're doing in the restaurant it's like any chef cooking any 
cuisine of their heritage and bringing all of the elements of their life and experience into that. To just like lean into the complexity. Yeah. And not let it be like calcified and frozen in amber by like what America presupposes it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, when people ask me what region of India, I say Oakland. (laughs) Have your parents been to your restaurant? Yes. How do they feel about being on the wall? They love it. Yeah. Yeah. They love it. I make them popular. I've been making them popular since Top Chef. <laughs> you're you're repping Oakland. You're repping your parents. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's cute. I mean, who? What parent wouldn't like that? It's true. I think I don't. My mom would probably kill me if I put her face on the wall in a restaurant. But she'd love it secretly. All yeah, she'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, here's this kid. Who, like I grew up like hating being Indian because like, I just want to be like everybody else. Like why do we have to be weird and different and all this stuff? And now I own an Indian restaurant, <laughs> like a pretty popular one. So yeah. like you know, I think it's worked out. Hey, thanks, Amanda, for helping me host another Best Of. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks for putting it together. Yeah, I'm going to... What was this one called? What was this one called again? <laughs> it's called The Titans of Industry. Okay. Yeah, so thanks for listening to The Titans of Industry. <laughs> uh, next week, we will have something else that is super fun. Make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends that it is great. Um, and email us at upsell at eater.com with... Just anything. Anything you want. Anything. Really, if you just want someone to talk to, we're here. Dan's here. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, thanks so much. Bye. See you next week. The Eater Upsell is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network and is recorded at Vox Media Studios in San Francisco and New York City. Your two hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and that other guy whose voice you hear every week, Greg Morbido. Our producer is AP Dan, more commonly known as Dan Janine. Our editorial producer is Monica Burton. Our executive producer is Maureen Janone. Our studio team is Miles Ewell and Paige Bethman. Our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. And the most important person in this entire process, the one person without whom none of this would be possible, past, present, or future, is you, beautiful and brilliant listener. It's you. Thank you for everything you do. We love you.